Things look and feel pretty scary in the world right now. A cursory reading of today's headlines would imply that. The coronavirus pandemic is forcing state governments to require masks to be worn in all public places as positive cases continue to rise. Unemployment is skyrocketing. The federal government is spending another $500 billion to try to keep the, go- the, uh, the economy afloat. The stock market is doing something new every day, and military tensions continue to rise between the U.S. and Iran. Things look and feel scary. And if my hope was based on this world, I would certainly be a little nervous by this point. This week's devotional message sort of piggybacks on last week's, and it deals with a similar experience Jesus' disciples go through again, but with a couple differences that make the whole thing a whole lot scarier. As I've been mentioning, now would be a good time to read or reread through the book of Matthew in the New Testament. Our midweek devotional messages have been focusing on portions of this book over the past few weeks. Last week, we focused on Matthew 8, 23-27, where an exhausted Jesus settles in for a nap as the disciples sail a boat across the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee was notorious for devastating storms that would develop without warning. But Jesus, knowing all of this, still settles in for a nap. He was exhausted, but also wanted to prove a point. So when that inevitable storm did strike, Jesus remains asleep all the way up to the disciples shouting in his face that they were all going to die and wondering why he didn't care. Upon seeing that his disciples still didn't get it, even though he had already preached on trusting God wholeheartedly because he already knew what they needed and promised to give it to them, Jesus asked a question that is every much as poignant today as it was 2,000 years ago. He asked them, why are you afraid? And then he immediately follows that up with, you have so little faith. It's a call to examine where we're actually placing our trust and hope, especially today. If we truly believe God will take care of his children, that is, those of us who have placed our hope and trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, then we must believe that he will take care of our basic needs. He is our perfect father and he has a perfect plan. Jesus then backed up his words by flat out rebuking the storm like an insolent teenager and immediately slinking back. The disciples were filled with awe and marveled at their master's power. That power has not waned, but it can be easily forgotten. Today we're skipping ahead six chapters in the book of Matthew and picking up again in Matthew 14. Months have passed since this experience on the Sea of Galilee we just talked about. Jesus has cast out more demons, healed more people, and taught in more parables. The twelve disciples have even been sent out to perform miracles themselves and to preach the good news of God's love in Jesus' kingdom. As we move into and through Matthew 14, Jesus feeds well over 5,000 people by miraculously multiplying five loaves of bread and two fish. Everyone is amazed and joyful, having eaten their fill and filling up twelve baskets worth of leftovers. They're riding the high of what Jesus had just done before their very eyes, and Jesus knows exactly what they're thinking. There's no reason for that huge crowd to leave Jesus at this point in their mind. They can keep following him and listening to him, and he can just keep feeding them whenever it's the next mealtime. But Jesus knows he has other plans, and they don't include catering to every need of a well over 5,000 people crowd. Moses had already been there and done that, and that wasn't Jesus' life purpose. Jesus had other places to go, other people to see, and other things to do. 
So we pick up in Matthew 14, 22 through 23 and read, Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. This simple fact sets up for what happens next. Jesus is no longer with his disciples. And where do his disciples find themselves yet again? In the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and once again a treacherous storm comes out of nowhere and starts battering their boat. Now, Jesus left them in the early evening, and that's when they set out. But by the time we come to verse 25, it's in between 3 and 6 in the morning the next day. And where are the disciples still? Are they safely on shore? No, they're still in the middle of the storm, having been battling it for hours at that point. Talk about prolonged terror. And that's where a lot of people are right now, in a place of prolonged terror. In New Jersey, it's been officially a month since our governor made a series of executive orders to put the state in near lockdown status. Most of us have been hunkered down in our homes for a while now, trying to do our part to flatten the curve of the virus. And for a lot of people, as the scary things have continued to mount and build upon each other, as we're a month into this with no end in sight, at least here in New Jersey, for a lot of people, this is a state of prolonged terror. And I'm sure at this point, after they've been battling against huge waves and strong wind, the disciples are both terrified and exhausted, which makes them even more terrified. And it's in the middle of this experience, between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., that something else happens. All of a sudden, through the driving rain and blowing fog, one of them spots a ghostly figure hovering over the surface of the water and coming right towards them as if they needed one more thing to make everything that much worse. In fact, the disciples' imaginations are kicked into such high gear at this point, and imagining that this is the end of the world, and anything is possible at this point, are convinced that it's a legit ghost coming to them to exact some sort of revenge. It's like a horror scene out of a Stephen King novel, with a ghost coming towards some fishermen, caught in a storm off the coast of Maine. But for anyone who's read this story before, we know that the disciples' worst fears were just a mirage. It wasn't a ghost. It was simply their master, Jesus, performing yet another miracle by walking on top of the stormy waves, coming to save them. In fact, Jesus heard them cry out, It's a ghost! And immediately calls out to them, Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Now, in the Greek, that last statement, I am here, is really just rendered, I am. Sound familiar? It's the exact same reference God makes to Moses in the burning bush to solidify to Moses who God really is. He just is. He needs no other condition. He needs no other relation. He needs no other explanation. He exists separately from everything else, and his mind and plan transcend everything else. In addition, Job declares in the Jewish Bible, or our Old Testament, about God, without warning, he moves the mountains, overturning them in his anger. He shakes the earth from its place and its foundations tremble. If he commands it, the sun won't rise and the stars won't shine. And then Job says in chapter 9, verse 8, he alone has spread out the heavens and marches on the waves of the sea. 
So Jesus was try- wasn't trying to terrify his disciples even more than they already were. He was declaring in action and power that he was God and the fulfillment of Job's words, words describing what only God could do. Jesus confirms this by outright declaring, I am. A lot of us need to hear Jesus' words calling out through the driving rain, gusting wind, blowing fog, crashing waves, deafening thunder, and blinding lightning of the prolonged terror of the storm we're going through right now. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am. See, it doesn't matter what the storm is. That doesn't matter. Jesus is God, and because of that, his authority and his power are both outside of that storm and not hinged on that storm and break through into that storm and change the storm. So let us all listen and take to heart Jesus' words. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am. One of Jesus' disciples, Peter, isn't too sure about this ghost telling him it's really Jesus. He's seen enough demonic displays of power as they were being cast out of people to know that it was entirely possible for them to mimic supernatural acts. So he calls out to this ghostly figure, If it's really you, Jesus, call me out to walk on the water with you. We might wonder, why in the world did Peter do that with everything else going on at that moment? Well, it was because of everything going on in that moment. With the world crashing down around him and him being fully convinced he was going to die, Peter thought, well, what do I have to lose? You may be listening to this and thinking, I've kind of had the rug pulled out from under me in a very short time with with no warning. Rest assured, it's not for nothing. And it's most certainly not for you to just buck up and keep pushing forward. It is to shake you up. It is to make you think about your priorities. It is to force you to seek out God. That's the point. Very often, God gives us troubles and trials and scary circumstances in order for us to see there's nothing else worth pursuing than Him. You've got nothing to lose at this point. So like Peter calling out to Jesus, call out through the raging storm for him to show you who he is. Call out through the raging storm for him to save you. Because Jesus will always respond exactly the way he responds to Peter. Come. Come and see who I really am. Come and see how I can save you. Come and see how I can turn your life around. Come and see my power and strength. So Peter gets out of the boat, and lo and behold, he's able to walk on those waves as well. Peter starts walking on those waves towards Jesus. Now that would be a great ending to that story, wouldn't it be? That would be a great place to fade to black and start the end credits, right? The story closes on the height of Peter's faith and inspiration to us all. But that's not the way it ends. It could have been, but something happens. Peter's unwavering faith in Jesus' authority and power starts to shake. It may have dawned on Peter, what in the world did I just do? This is just nuts. I shouldn't be able to do this. Peter takes his eyes off his source of power, peace, and confidence, and he starts to sink into those waves. 
Boy, if that isn't a spitting image of what always happens in every single one of our lives, I don't know what is. Troubles and trials drive us to Jesus, and our faith is strengthened. And we're riding the high of our connection to Him and relation with Him, and then all of a sudden we get distracted. Something makes us take our eyes off of Him. Something makes us lose a little faith in Him. And suddenly, we're right back to where we were before, sinking in our frightening circumstances. That might be where you are right now. You had a strong faith in Jesus, but the scary life circumstances are building and you're losing sight of Jesus and your faith is weakening. Don't keep sinking. Don't keep drowning. Don't keep falling deeper and deeper into the darkness. Like Peter in Matthew 14, 30, cry out, Lord, save me. You know why? Because that cry will never go unanswered. That cry will never be ignored. That cry will never be forgotten. Jesus will always, always, always reach his hand out to you and grab yours and drag you back up out of the water. His words to Peter in Matthew 14, 31 mirror what he's already said to all of his disciples before and what he reiterates to us again today. You have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? See, that's what it all comes down to. It's not the strength of the storm that causes us to lose faith. It's the battle against doubt that causes us to lose faith. Jesus never changed, and his power never changed, and his presence never changed. It's we who change. It's we who lose heart and courage and faith. But rest assured, it's never too late to cry out, Lord, save me. It's never too late to cry out to him to save you. It's never too late to cry out to him to heal you, to provide for you, to strengthen you, to comfort you, to give you joy, and to give you peace. Make today that day that you cry out through the storm, Lord, I trust you. I trust you with my circumstances. I trust you with my salvation. I trust you with my future. When Jesus and Peter got back into the boat, very similar to what we talked about last week, the storm immediately stopped. Jesus didn't even have to say any words this time. The storm already knew its place from last time. As soon as the lesson of the storm was learned, the storm stopped. Very often, the purpose of the storms we're in is just to teach us one thing, and once we realize it and perhaps change, it stops. Sometimes that's not the case, but there's always a reason. At the very least, it's to bring us closer to the embrace of our Heavenly Father. We read in the last verse of this experience that the rest of the disciples in the boat began worshiping Jesus as God's Son when he and Peter got into it. At the foundation of everything, every trouble and trial we go through is meant for us to worship God. They're meant for us to give Him glory. They're meant for us to see more of who he is and that driving us to worship him for it. Do you see your troubles and trials as opportunities to worship God? Do you see your troubles and trials as opportunities to look to see what God is doing in your life and how he means for you to grow? Do you see your troubles and trials as opportunities to change something in your life to make it more pleasing to God? 
When we start looking for these opportunities and what God is doing in the background, we will begin to understand what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church gathered in the great city of Rome, the capital of the world at that point. And this is what we'll end with this week in Romans chapter 8. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know, we know, that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them.